if we value the role of philanthropy in a modern society, we have to be willing to open up and work to constantly improve our practice. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. The purpose of the podcast today is to inspire you to be a bit more philanthropic, to act sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship. And please subscribe to the podcast. It makes a huge difference for us. Today, it's such a pleasure to welcome on board Fran Parent, who is the founder of 360 Giving. She's also a philanthropist and a fifth-generation member of the Sainsbury's family. And when I think of her and when I talk to her, I actually don't just think of her as a philanthropist, but perhaps an innovator and even, dare I say it, an activist innovator. Uh, she's, uh, she's doing amazing things with uh, 360 Giving. And today we're going to be talking about data, uh, the power of data in philanthropy, 360 Giving as a platform, how to share data, how to use it, and even how to drive forward systemic change in the sector, in the philanthropic sector, through the use of data, transparency and visibility. So, Fran, it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to uh, talk to you again and to welcome you onto the podcast. Hi, Alberto. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, quite the opposite, quite the opposite. So why don't we start by hearing a little bit about 360 Giving, this venture that you started a few years back. Thanks. 360 has been um, an absolute joy and a, a bit of a roller coaster to work on. It came out of my experience both as a philanthropist starting off at quite a young age, but also from my experience as a nerd. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up being a massive video game fan. And, and have always been fascinated by the internet and the potential for knowledge to change lives. I worked professionally as a civil service in the, as a civil servant in the UK government. Um, I was in the Prime Minister's strategy unit under Tony Blair and then Gordon Brown and was lucky enough to be put on a project reviewing the power of information and how government can use the internet and data. Mm -hmm. It was called uh, the Power of Information Review, and that was back in 2007. That hugely inspired me about future trends in data and where that could be used for public services or public good, not just for commercial ventures. In the meantime, I'd been a philanthropist. In my spare time, uh, I, I had a professional life, but I was also giving. I set up my foundation when I was 18. And as an 18-year-old, knew very little about how to give well or what other donors were doing. Sure. So 360 really came from that wanting to know more, wanting to learn from other donors, and a sense that data was a huge part of that. So having worked around open data standards, I felt quite comfortable having those conversations. Mm -hmm. but really mm -hmm. couldn't see why there wasn't more open data in UK philanthropy. I thought I'd missed something obvious. Yeah. So I started workshopping it and with colleagues from Nesta, the big innovation foundation in the UK, from Nominet Trust and uh, some of my open data colleagues, we just started kicking this around and saying, why hasn't this happened? It's happened in international development through the International Aid Transparency Initiative and a fantastic UK charity called Publish What You Fund. Why couldn't I find out similar information for UK grants? Why was it that you couldn't? It seemed that there was no good reason 
there was no technical problem. It's not a, a complicated kind of data. Who has given what money to whom? But it's very hard to make donors do anything they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have a competitive market. If I do a bad job as a philanthropist, that's just my problem. No one's going to hold me to account. I'll only be held to account if I'm doing something illegal. So there are no imperatives that will make us innovate and do things better and do things differently other than peer pressure. So we said, well, let's let's try this. And it wasn't a core part of my strategy as a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. We've always had a kind of 90-10 rule, which is 90% of the budget should be on utterly strategic focused grants and 10% should be around the more emotional, reactive, experimental work. Because if you exclude the possibility of, of just trying something non-strategic, you often miss the passion and the fun that can come through philanthropy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you find that people are just a little bit timid, of philanthropists and foundations, to, to share their data for fear of being put under the spotlight or even being ridiculed for their choices? I think there's a complex set of reasons, and it's very different with different donors. What I find is that certainly there is an element of fear because I I shared that. I was terrified of being public about my giving. I knew I hadn't earned the money I inherited. Uh, I felt shy in describing my own work. And there's not always a sort of positive view in the press about the role of philanthropy in the UK. And I was nervous about that. I think also a lot of donors don't realize they're not being transparent or open, not even realizing why their work would be of interest to others. And there's also a a positive force of people not wanting to have their philanthropy be about them. Many donors I've spoken to said, we want this to be about the charities that we're supporting. It shouldn't be about us. And and I, I really agree with that desire for humility. What I've tried to say to them is, actually being open, especially with your data, is one of the most powerful ways to help those charities. Mm-hmm. It gives visibility. It increases their voice. Mm-hmm. And also, it fundamentally changes the balance of power. How does somebody um, share their data with others? How does somebody go about sharing their data? What sort of platforms are there? Is it a very arduous process, or can it be done fairly straightforwardly? Absolutely. So we were really keen from the start to make this the easiest possible system to use with the lowest barriers to entry. I wanted this to be something that a tiny foundation with one member of staff could publish just as easily as a major foundation with a staff of hundreds. Mm -hmm. Because actually the types of data are the same. If you go to the 360 Giving website, you'll see loads of guidance on everything you'll need to do to publish, which is what we call opening up your data. And it doesn't happen just through our site. The foundations, the donors own the data themselves. Somewhere, everyone will have a spreadsheet on a computer about the grants that they've made, because you have to collect that for UK accounting law. Sure. What we're asking people to do is to put that spreadsheet in a standardized format, the 360 giving standard, and then to publish it online. It can be on their own website and then send us a link. So 360 giving isn't so much as a platform. It's actually just a registry 
it's drawing together all those different sources and allowing you to search them in one place. So mm-hmm. the tiniest foundation just needs to change a few column headings, re-engineer their data, and be willing to put it online with an open license. And that's the heart of open data, saying it's open for anyone to use, to reuse, and it's free at the point of access. The things that can be hard for foundations in opening up their data are, first of all, getting uh, management buy-in. Mm-hmm. And uh, often that first conversation is, what is open data? Why will it help people? And uh, when I explain how much time it can save charities who are looking to fundraise or how it can help donors collaborate better, people really get that. The next point is saying why their existing communications may not be as transparent as they think. So many foundations are great at publishing an annual report. It may have loads of facts and figures, case studies, which is wonderful. But if you're a charity or an academic or a donor, trying to find people, you don't have time to print off hundreds of annual reports, read through them, mark it up with a red pen. No one has that time and we're wasting time as a sector doing that. Just by changing the format, it makes it possible to search it. And that's the magic of open data, the magic of the internet, is we can make it so much easier for anyone to find information. Now one could argue, one could argue that you're doing the job that the government should be doing in some respects. You mentioned earlier that this is data that is required to be submitted when you're submitting your account and so forth. If if one had it in a slightly different format, then it, it might be searchable through through the Charities Commission website and so forth. So I think you, I give you credit for, for doing something that should already be in place but isn't. Yeah. So the Charity Commission is improving and they, they've got a new digital focus and they're looking at ways uh, to encourage donors and to make it easier. But this is the kind of change that I wanted to see led by the sector itself. Mm -hmm. Government is often reluctant to uh, tell donors what to do. And historically in the UK, donors have been very strong at lobbying against government changes in this area. I wanted us to show that we all saw the benefits of this and that we could lead the way in setting a new standard. I also wanted something that was really fit for use for foundations and easy to use. And, and I, I know from my own work in government that government doesn't always innovate mm. in the way that's best for all users. What I've been thrilled by is as we've proved the take up of this with foundations, we now have over 115, I think, foundations publishing. Now the government really absorbs what we're saying because we've proved it works. And I was thrilled when the government adopted the 360 Giving Data Standard yes. and said their data will also be published to that. Congratulations. That's, uh, that must have felt good when you, when you read that or when you found out about that. That was a great moment. And um, we've been doing a lot of work to support government in, in opening up their data, which is obviously actually the largest data set on grant giving in the UK because the government gives grants as well as direct budget support. And we wanted to build that complete picture of different types of giving in the UK. I think as a former civil servant, it's been great fun to actually the system and see how we can help government. You come from a family that's uh, well-to-do, strong philanthropic rooting. Why did you end up doing what you're doing instead of 
sticking with what many philanthropists do, which is sort of checkbook philanthropy and doing something that you supporting certain causes financially. But in your case, you're rolling up your sleeves and you're you're starting up this platform, which is very different than what most philanthropists are doing. How did you, what triggered that? So I think it was the contrast between my, my day job and my philanthropy. In mm. my day job, working in the strategy unit, I was trained professionally. Uh, these are the skills you need. You need to do your job better. This is what success looks like. And the contrast of, of leaving work and then going to chair a trustee meeting where I felt I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what success looked like. And I felt that I was the only one. I thought everybody else knew the answer and I didn't. So I started to get very frustrated with my giving because it wasn't focused. I think we, we funded lots of good projects and great charities. Yes. I didn't feel confident in which were the best grants or why some seemed to work and others didn't. And I was worried that I would be wasting money, that anybody else given this extraordinary opportunity would be doing a better job of giving than I was. Mm -hmm. And that terrified me. So I said, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to make one more grant until I work out how to do this well. And I literally went online that night and Googled how to be a philanthropist. Uh -huh. <laughs> and was very lucky at that moment to come across the philanthropy workshop which mm -hmm. is, it was really the transformative experience for me as a donor. Uh, I signed up to do, they have a cohort system of helping donors educate themselves and skill up on strategic philanthropy. And that made the big difference for me in saying, actually, there is a way to do this well. This is not rocket science. People have been doing this and thinking about this for a long time. There is a skill set that you can practice and learn that will make you a better donor. And also there's actually a community of other donors asking the same questions who all felt unsure about what they were doing but wanting to do it better. During that workshop, uh, which I would encourage any donor to go through, I had my aha moment, mm -hmm. which was there is no one cause or focus that is objectively more worthy than the others. There are so many problems in the world and so many ways to tackle them. And we see this with the SDGs. How do you pick one? So I realized that the cause that would make me the best donor was one that I was already passionate about and already had a skill set. And I really believe this. You can't decide whether funding cancer research or poverty reduction is more important. Mm -hmm. But you can say, where can you add more than just signing a check? I can't tell you anything about the difference between a good anti-malaria project and a bad one, but I know technology and I know data. And once I made that decision to focus on something where I was more expert, I found my confidence and I felt that I could help charities more because I knew what I was talking about. That's great. That's great. Do you think for philanthropists listening to this who might be skeptical about um, not skeptical but just not quite sure where to start you know they probably have it as a new year's resolution maybe they want to get involved in philanthropy a bit more or, but there's a lot of high net worth individuals who um, don't have the time don't really know where to start maybe have a healthy degree of skepticism about philanthropy in general where would you point their finger to what would you suggest i think it's about two things one is finding your community of peers and your community of practice and the other is skilling yourself up. 
So people are often nervous to start because they don't know the world of philanthropy or charity, and that can be off-putting. Or they start in it and it seems too complex. It's mm -hmm. too unfamiliar. They don't have anyone to talk to about it, and they become disheartened and give up. And often what seems from the outside like a simple problem to solve, the more you learn about it, the more complex it becomes and people can get put off. So I think people should give. I don't think anyone will regret it. It can be one of the most rewarding and interesting things to do, though that shouldn't be why we do it. And I think we have to constantly learn and practice uh, like any profession or even a hobby like playing a musical instrument. You, you get out of it what you put in. Sure. And if you keep on learning, you will get better. There's a lot of talk about collaboration in philanthropy, about collaboratives uh, that are coming together of different philanthropic, uh, philanthropically minded individuals and organizations. How does one find a collaborative or a group of like-minded individuals who might have interest in the same thematic area? Because that is something that I hear quite a bit. People thinking, yes, I want to do this, but I'm not, I don't want to do it alone. But where do they find groups of people in the same sort of thematic area? I think the first thing is to be clear on why you want to collaborate and who for. So actually, it's, it's relatively easy to find donor collaboratives around topics. Mm -hmm. um, there are many. Uh, and talking to the charities in the field, they will often know what's the group of donors that you could be trying to join. The question is why. Actually, if you want to collaborate to know more about what's happening, then, then learning a, a, going to a peer discussion group is going to be the most effective thing. You don't necessarily have to give in a collaborative way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is it for you or is it for the charity? And collaborations can be wonderful for the donors. We get the comfort of knowing we're giving with others, the reassurance, but it doesn't always make things better for the charity. And I've seen a lot of charities who go, actually, it just layers level after level of bureaucracy and paperwork, makes it harder for us. So the collaboration should happen if it's streamlining grant making, if it increases the impact for the charities, not just because it helps us as donors. Collaboration, yeah. when it works well, is extraordinary. When it becomes a bureaucratic process, it helps no one. Yeah. The organizations that you have at 360 Giving, how many do you have right now? And I understand you even have the Welcome Trust. Yes, we have. At the moment, we have 115 different foundations in the UK publishing their data fully. And that was always, we had this moonshot goal that we will get 80% of the UK foundations publishing to this standard within five years. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's much too ambitious. We'll never get there. Uh, and I'm delighted that we're, we're, we're at our target. Now, that varies hugely from tiny community foundations through to the really big players like the Wellcome Trust, who are, I think, at 6 billion of the overall 27 billion of grants that we've now opened up. Amazing. Actually, for, for organizations like Welcome, they were completely philosophically aligned from the start because they fund open access to scientific research. They understand why an evidence base is, is crucial to advance learning. And they're a very innovative trust in the way that they work. It was often a bigger process of understanding and explaining this value to some of the more traditional foundations. 
Mm -hmm. And the actual information that they provide to you or, or to the platform, to 360 Giving, that a foundation provides to the platform, what is it? Is it so I'm giving X number of grants, I'm giving these average sizes, uh, this is the thematic area, these are the grantees. What is the information that's actually being piped into 360 Giving? It's actually very few of the ones you just mentioned. Okay. So went for the absolute simplest, smallest data point, but the individual grant. Mm -hmm. So this foundation gave this amount of money to this charity, the date, the geographic location, and then a text description of what the grant was for. So it's, it's very basic. None of this is complex. Mm -hmm. But it's not making any uh, judgment or data statement about that. No averages, no trends. It's just the, the unarguable facts. And we all have to know this information. We're also very clear on not having a categorization or a schema because philanthropists spend far too much time arguing why their grants are, are really specific and don't fit with any other definitions. Sure. Um, we knew we'd waste 10 years if we tried to agree on one categorization, but we use uh, free text search. So the description you add already about the project, you can search that for keywords so that people can find what they're looking for. And this very simple information actually opens up all the possibilities you need. We wanted other people to develop tools and platforms that use 360 data. Mm -hmm. We're not assuming we know the questions people will want to ask, but often it's geography. Where did the work happen? You can then overlay that with other data sets about poverty, disadvantage, all sorts of geographic questions that make it a really rich data set. But you just start with the basic information and then find the answer to any question you might want. Right. And who is using 360 giving? Who's the user? Who's the person who, who comes onto the platform and tries to use that data for, for something? Is it uh, somebody who's on fundraising side? Is it somebody who's looking to make grants and looking for examples? Who is your average user if there is such a thing? We really wanted it to be used by several different audiences, and I'm thrilled that that's, that's really happened. So obviously the, the first user is somebody in a charity who's looking for who might fund them right. and who is giving grants to organizations of their type. Anything we can do to, to make that easier for those charities allows them to spend more time on the operational work that we want to support. The next big audience is donors themselves. How can we ever collaborate if we can't find the other donors mm -hmm. that we should be working with? And how can we learn from them if we can't see what they've given over time and perhaps where they've changed their focus? The next audience is really academics. Mm -hmm. So there isn't enough academic study and professional study of philanthropy because it's really hard to get the data. We're lucky to have world-class academics in the UK, uh, Kathy Farrow at the Cass Business School, Beth, Beth Breeze at Kent University, and the new LSE Marshall Institute for Philanthropy. But they spend too much of their time having to collect this data by, by hand through surveys. Actually, we want them to spend more time on the added value, which they already do, but there could be so much more. 
one of the unexpected user types that become a heavy user of the data is foundation staff themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you put any foundation staff member in front of the 360 website, they and we, we built a search engine called GrantNav as a way to easily look at this data. They search for themselves. They see what does our giving look like over time? What is our geographical spread? And then what are the other donors who are giving to the same charities as us? And that was amazing to me that That's great. from inside a foundation, it can be very hard to be visible even to yourself. My staff team at Indigo search our own grants history through 360 Giving and GrantNav. It's an easier way to look at the data. That's excellent. Indigo Trust itself has grant-making activities and different thematic areas besides this whole piece about better grant making, right? I mean, you have access to justice and visual impairment and so forth. Do you see yourself somehow being engulfed by 360 giving and data and the whole, the whole thrust of that and and maybe having to consolidate your attention onto, onto this and, and moving away from more traditional grant making? No, I think, um, I find it interesting to see that a lot of donors, the more they spend in philanthropy, the more time they spend, the more they become obsessed with improving grant making itself. Mm -hmm. And that sort of meta analysis that says, how can grant making improve grant making? So I'm confident there'll always be a need to fund work like 360, particularly where it has to come from donors themselves. Because of the power imbalance, it's hard for charities to tell us when we're doing something wrong or could be doing something better. So we can use peer pressure and encouragement to help all donors do better and also to praise where there is fantastic grant making happening. Yeah. I think the other areas are also, it's important for me at Indigo to leverage where I can donations from other like-minded foundations. So uh, our work on access to justice we used our, our nerdy skill set around access to legal information mm-hmm. to fund work that's been hugely successful through the African Legal Information Institute. We didn't create that. We didn't set it up. But we were able to support incredible people working on it and then showcase to other donors why this niche issue could actually help solve so many problems. Uh, similarly, with our recent work on visual impairment, that came out of a desire for me to have some more direct impact. 360 mm-hmm. seemed very theoretical. Our work um, preventing blindness or visual impairment is much more hands-on, but we were able to showcase our approach with the, the evidence set and encourage other donors to consider that as an area. That's excellent. If you're looking at success in the next 10 years, what does that look like to you? I hope that we will have really made some measurable change in increasing opportunities for donors to improve their work, to learn from others, to work with others. That might be through 360 or funding different types of donor education. When I started off as a young donor, I didn't know where to go for advice and support. I want to make sure that for any young donor or actually a much older donor but who's starting out for the first time, there are so many places they can go to help them be a better donor. That's great. Do you see your expertise and the sort of insight and lessons that have been gathered here 
in the UK that through your platform that that might uh, spill over into other jurisdictions? I'd be thrilled to see that happen. The uh, the way the data standard is structured is it's free for anyone to use to replicate. All the code is open source, meaning that anyone can just take the code and use it in their own country. We have a relatively small team, so we're focused on maxing out the potential in the UK, but we'd be delighted to advise people in other countries. I think we try to be humble that we don't necessarily have all the answers, that we're we're trying to constantly improve. Different countries have different legal setups. Canada is actually probably the most advanced in having digital information on charities. Uh, But we'd love to see this taken up, particularly in emerging markets of philanthropy. Great. You heard it here first. Is 360 giving the data in it? By and large, it's UK grants, right? UK made and UK delivered? By majority, yes. It's both UK uh, foundations giving to UK charities. Having said that, there are several, like Indigo Trust, where most of the recipient organizations are in the developing country. And we don't see that as a problem at all. We want to open up the data uh, wherever it's wherever the money is going. It's opening up transparency around where it came from. Right. What's the website address? What's the website address for uh, 360 Giving? 360 Giving, spelled out as words, dot org. 360giving.org. And it's free to use? Anybody can use it free of charge? Absolutely free to use. There is no charge at any point. Why should there be? We're, we're the donors. We should be paying for it. Um, and we're entirely funded by philanthropists and foundations in the UK. Uh, the Big Lottery Foundation has been one of our huge supporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to make sure it wasn't just a mad idea of mine that I was imposing on the sector. So from the start, we've had different donors, other people working collaboratively with me. This is an effort of lots of people, not just mine. And I'm sure it's a labor of love as well. It is, and it's been one of the most exciting and satisfying things I've ever worked on. That's excellent. So tell me, what is that key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to the podcast? The takeaway I would offer is particularly for donors, philanthropists, and foundation staff, which is if we value the role of philanthropy in a modern society, we have to be willing to open up and work to constantly improve our practice. Uh, I I celebrate philanthropy. It's not always perfect. We make loads of mistakes. But overall, I think it's a force for good in the world. I want more people to give and to give more. But I also want to constantly ask, what does it mean to give well? And if there isn't going to be real sort of external accountability and levers for change, we have to do that ourselves. We have to scrutinize each other, encourage each other, and then Hopefully, society can judge that what we're doing is worth continuing. Oh, perfect. That's wonderful. Look, friend, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show and speaking with you again. I am so delighted that everything's working so nicely with 360 Giving and that more and more people are coming on board and sharing their data. And hopefully, uh, you you will be successful in getting others from other jurisdictions across the world to uh, to take up your example and do similar things uh, wherever they might be. To our listeners, please do subscribe. It makes a huge difference and do share as well. Uh, Fran, thank you very much again. Really wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. It was fun. 
Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better. <laughs>